Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. Today's show is going to be an interesting show. So we have Chris, and I've decided to deem Chris the Pat Finder boss. And it was usually naming someone is kind of easy. You know, I usually kind of do an aspect of their company or what they do. But, you know, Chris's background is so diverse into like the banking spectrum. I was like, what's the best way to describe this man as a boss? And obviously, Pat Finder is, a, is an item that I think that he'll be able to express a little bit more detail. So, Chris, why don't you tell our, our audience a little bit more about who you are and why am I deeming you the Pat Finder boss? Well, S.A., thanks so much. And uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Uh, over 70 shows, I think you guys have out there, which is, uh, I'm sure, really helpful to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs. And um, like you, uh, you know, I get to spend most of my waking hours working with entrepreneurs. And as, as part of that, particularly as they think about life post owning their business, we get to help them think through, hey, what is that? What's the path towards that exit or transition? And then what happens afterward? As you probably know, most entrepreneurs are type A. Uh, they're pretty driven. Uh, I was, as I mentioned, I was listening to your and your wife's podcast where I think she was mentioning just how involved an entrepreneur is, right? It's, it's 24-7. It's every day of the week. Uh, and so it's, it's really an honor and it's humbling to be able to help them think through maybe some decisions and some life choices that they've got to make uh, that they've never had to do before. Right. It's um, mm -hmm. so it's, that's, so I, I like your title Pathfinder and, and uh, we'll stick with it. Nice, nice, nice. So, I mean, I mean, with, with that, I mean, it kind of just like just looking at your bio and understanding like the different facets from investment to banking and, you know, ideally any entrepreneur, they've heard of these items, but they don't really know how to utilize or identify when they should pick up the phone or go into a bank. So let's just dive into that a little bit. Like, how are you orchestrating the noise and, and making that path clearer for entrepreneurs? That's a great question, because uh, I think, you know, we uh, so I uh, help run an investment bank. And so our job is really to when it's time for that entrepreneur to either raise money, right, go out and find debt or equity to help them grow their company or to sell their business or find a new partner, you know, our job is to help them tell their story. How do you get that company story out in a way that the investment community is going to hear and then manage that transaction process? And it's, uh, it's pretty tricky, right? It's, it's usually not something that the entrepreneur has been through before. And, you know, our, best advice is, uh, you know, for the entrepreneur, you know, when you start your business and you start thinking about your growth plans and where you're going to take your business, you ought to be thinking, at least in the back of your mind, hey, at some point you're going to transition out of this business. And what does that look like? Could you orchestrate kind of the perfect transition? And how would you go about doing that? And uh, there are some investment banks like ours that work with entrepreneurs 
two or three or four years before they're ultimately going to sell or try to raise money. And that's usually a pretty good window for them to identify what are the key risks in my business that I should be paying attention to? What are the aspects of my business that investors are going to like? And so how do I accentuate those? Hmm. And it's a uh, it's, 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 again, it's all about just being intentional and, you know, the, the longer ro- uh, runway you have to be intentional, the better. And, um, you know, guys like me where, you know, our job is just to help guide them through that process. You know, the sooner you can have one of those conversations, the sooner you're going to get at least a second set of eyes to help you think through those, those issues. And, Again, it's I, I liken it to you know almost anything in life. You know, if you've got enough time, you know you can really do a good job with it. I, too many business owners, I think, end up reacting. You know, somebody calls them and says, "Hey, I'd love to buy your business," and they say, "Well, you know, for whatever reason, on that day, they they say, yep, that sounds like a great idea.' But if you haven't done the preparation and mm-hmm. kind of that process ahead of time, it's it's likely not to be an optimal solution for you. Wow, that's definitely interesting. So, I mean, let's just dive into like you a little bit more, right? Like, so obviously being in banking, like there's two sides of the coin, right? You could be kind of like a savant numbers guy. You could read numbers through walls and kind of be like the matrix, or you could be more of like a sales guy, kind of like teaching people on how to leverage their capital and how to make wealth from the money that they already have. So if you could define yourself in three to five words, what would those three to five words be? It's a great question. I think the um it's it has less to do probably with uh, number savant. Um, you know, the good news is we've got a, a lot of folks in our organization who are uh, definitely facile with numbers and and uh, great finance folks. But in, for me personally, I think it's much more just around being goal driven, kind of service oriented for those entrepreneurs, and and ultimately competitive. Right? It's you know the deal business, just like being an entrepreneur, you want to win. And I think that drive that keeps you going through periods of difficulty in a transaction, it keeps you going when, um, you know, it, it, the future may look bleak uh, and you've got to be committed to it. So I, I would probably put that, you know, goal driven and competitive and then service oriented. Nice, nice. So earlier on in, in this episode, you were talking about like, you know, entrepreneurs with the A-type personalities, which... I guess if anyone has dealt with an entrepreneur or dealt with a business owner, that's always something that may potentially happen. So with your particular strategy and with your business, I think you probably deal with that more than anyone else because you're talking about money. So my next question is guided towards that. Like, what is the worst experience you've ever had dealing with an A-type personality that came in asking for leverage? Yeah, it's... uh... It's tough. I think the the worst experiences are really, you know, if you're working on a transaction for an entrepreneur and that transaction ultimately doesn't close, that this process of taking your business to market and ultimately selling your company, it's really time consuming. It's really stressful. It is emotionally draining for the entrepreneur. And so as you, as you can imagine, if you've spent all this money and time and energy trying to get your business sold and that deal falls through for whatever reason, maybe the business owner changes his or her mind, or maybe the business has some issue that can be pretty devastating. Um, And so those are, those are usually pretty disappointing, but I will tell you just having done this a long time. uh, I think 
you know, I tend to believe things happen for a reason. And I would, for nine out of 10 of those business owners, they've probably learned something really important about their business by having outsiders look at it and tell them basically, Hey, here's, here's your baby's ugly for these reasons. And once they get that feedback, the, the smart ones, and most of them are really smart. They go work on those issues. Um, we had a, an example of a business that it, we call it a, a customer concentration issue, meaning most of their revenues were with one customer. And you know, they took their business out to market. The deal didn't work because people, you know, the, both the lenders and the equity investors felt it was too risky. So they went back to work and fixed that. They, they kind of re-signed the contracts with that customer. They diversified the contract base within that customer. They uh, changed the relationship with that customer such that when they went back out, the business actually was probably worth twice as much. And so in a couple of years of doing that work, it really worked out well for them. And um, it's a, uh, so again, it's, and it's like anything, I'm sure SA in your conversations with entrepreneurs, it's when that entrepreneur has been in the cauldron and it's been really stressful, that's when they probably have learned the most. And that's probably when they've grown the most. And that's probably when their business has kind of benefited the most and, and gotten more valuable. Yeah. I mean, just as you speak, I mean, it's like going back to like the, the two sides of the coin. I mean, you sound so level-headed, so serene, so calm. It's almost <laughs> like you're seducing someone like this listening to you, right? Did you always, like growing up as a kid, did you always have like this, were you kind of like the, the voice of reasoning or were you more like a wild child growing up? <laughs> well, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know. I was the fourth of four boys. Mm -hmm. So I think you can go one of two directions, right? I think you can either... Uh, like my youngest son, everything slides off his back, right? Nothing bothers him. And uh, I think that's probably, he's, he's the third child. So he was ignored for the most part and, and got used to it. Um, uh, it. Or, you know, you could be super competitive. And I think the I probably ended up in the latter. I always wanted to beat my older brothers and uh, wanted to, wanted to win in any competition. Uh, and I don't know, I think, uh, I think the the fact that it's it's kind of like uh, uh, you know if you think about a guide or somebody that has uh, kind of seen the situation that you're about to experience hundreds of times, they're likely just to be a lot more calm and confident and being able to assess the situation better just because they've seen it a bunch of times. Um, it's you know, for you, for example, right, you've done all these podcasts, you're really good at it. My guess is, hey, the 75th episode that you did, you probably sounded different than the first episode. Um, and my guess is the folks that you've had on that maybe this is their first podcast, they probably sound a little different than somebody who's been doing it, you know, for 10 or 15 times. And so, and I, I don't know that if you talk to my team, if they would say that I'm calm and serene, uh, but I've definitely seen most of the bad movies that can occur in a transaction. And again, most times you can work through anything. You just, you have to, um, we have a, a chart in our office uh, that talks about the, the amount of psychological counseling we do over the course of a deal. And it starts out really low and then it kind of goes steep and up to the right um, as, uh, as we get closer to closing. And that's just because it's, it's a really, stressful for most business owners because they haven't been through it before. But we, like I said, we've, we've seen it a bunch of times. And so hopefully we're able to 
you know, keep things on an even keel. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that you just said, like near the end of, of, of your segmentation was like psychology, right? So part of the psychology of just banking and, and numbers and understanding the market, again, there's always two sides to the coin when it comes to psychology. There's extreme people that are willing to throw all their money at something. And there's more cautious people that want to hold their money back. And to your last point, like, how are you managing that when you're dealing with different personalities, different capital, different wealth, different fear factors? Like, what are your procedures to handle that type of stuff on a psychology level? That's a great question, right? Because everybody's different. Um, I was just having lunch yesterday with an entrepreneur that we've worked with for several years. And his risk tolerance is really high. So he's willing to take big risks in the hopes of you know, even bigger rewards. But we also have entrepreneurs who are much more cautious and much more deliberate about how do they view the world? How do they think about risk? What are they willing to put at stake? And as you well know, being an entrepreneur, you, you have everything on the line. So it's at some level, I think there's, for most entrepreneurs, they automatically have a higher risk tolerance than most others. I've often said, I think, you know, maybe 1% of the world's population are suitable to be an entrepreneur just temperamentally. Um, and it, you know, part of that's risk tolerance and part of that's just sheer persistence, right? Just working their way through problems. But it, you just, I think in our world, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it, this, this sounds maybe too patronizing. I don't mean it this way, but it's like a teacher, right? You, you take your students as they are and you work with them just based on who they are and where they are. And it takes a little while to learn, right? You have to, you have to spend a little bit of time with somebody to really understand how are they situated, right? How, are, how do they think about the world? And then the advice that you give them hopefully is, you know, is well suited. Nice. Very nice. So, I mean, going to my next question, right? And, and again, I, I just like I like to tell this story, and I like to like unfold it and peel back these onions as, as we move forward. So, someone is listening to this podcast, they may hear that okay, you're a banker, you're you're leveraging assets, you're, you're into investments, but you know, obviously, that's not something that's happened overnight. So, how long have you been on your journey? Like, how many years did it take you to get as proficient as you are right now? Well, <laughs> you're very kind. I don't know how proficient I am, but uh, I, my wife accused me as accuses me of having a career ADD. I started out as an attorney in the Silicon Valley and spent a couple of years working with technology companies and quickly figured out that uh, both I wasn't very good at it and two, I didn't really enjoy it. And so went to work for uh, an investment group that was investing capital on behalf of a utility into unregulated businesses. And through that, uh, I, was the, I was the deal guy uh, for a roll-up. So a roll-up is where we bought, in our case, we bought 27 companies over the course of a couple of years and then nice. brought them all together and consolidated them. And, and then I was fortunate because so I was the deal guy. I did all those transactions. But then the CEO that we brought on board to run that business uh, kind of took me under his wing. And I went to my boss and said, I I really want to go work for this guy. His name was Jim Walker. And, you know, I didn't have any operating experience at all. I was trained as a transaction person and Jim was really kind. He uh, just tutored me and gave me tough love when necessary, but I became this chief operating officer and the president of that business. And then we sold that to Avaya, which is a big communications company. 
Um, and then I, 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 uh, once we sold it, I tried to retire as, I was too young, I think. Um, I was 37 at the time, and uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure SA was when I was reorganizing my wife's spice drawer that she said, "I think you need to go find another job." <laughs> which I understand. I wanted to stay married, and she stuck with me, which is terrific. Uh, but we started our investment bank. Uh, really, my partner and I, mostly as a hobby, we love love working with entrepreneurs, and so it was a it was a way for us to get to spend most of our day with entrepreneurs and help them, you know, along their journeys. And, uh, it's just been, it's been an incredible ride. We were, uh, we got busy. And so we were fortunate to be able to hire a lot of great people who quite frankly have taken our business much, much further than my partner and I ever anticipated. Um, and you know, again, it's been, uh, it's, I always joke that, you know, I, I would do this for free. And, you know, if I had a hobby, this would be it. Uh, just because it's so much fun. I think it's interesting that, that you brought up kind of, it seems like you were in the dot-com era to a certain extent with Silicon Valley, <laughs> right? So w- with that being like a, like a pro and a con, like if you can go back in time, right, and whisper something in your ears to change something, what would that thing that you would whisper to yourself to change? It's a great question. It's almost, hey, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self or your 25-year-old self? Um, and I, you know, my, it's, it's funny because my uh, oldest son is, uh, uh, he just graduated from college. And so this conversation is kind of a, you know, it's, it's ripe for me, which is, I think, um, and you're a great example of this, you know, when you, when you're passionate about something or, uh, you know, you're evaluating alternatives, don't be afraid, particularly early in your career to take big risks. Because you've got plenty of time to course correct, you've got plenty of time to learn, and too often, I mean, I started out as an attorney and coming out of law school, that was the you know going to work for the big law firm that was a safe path, and you know fortunately, you know after a couple of years, I said you know this this just isn't for me i i i I honestly looked at the partner that I was working for, who was a terrific guy. But I just said, you know, I don't want to do that. And uh, and so if, you know, the advice that I uh, gave my son and the advice that I would to give to young entrepreneurs is really, you know, don't be afraid to swing for the fence. And, you know, it's likely that you're going to strike out a few times, but the learning that you're going to do, it's invaluable, um, way better than any business school education or training that you're going to get is just being in the trenches and you know, as we like to say, getting hit by the two by four a couple of times, you're going you're to learn pretty quickly. Hopefully you're wearing a hard hat when that happens. Yeah, right, right. I think so, most entrepreneurs are, right? They're, they're equipped for it personally. personally. Well, yeah, I, I would think it's kind of like a callus, right? I mean, at first you may get that, that open wound and then you'll figure out how to protect it and then you'll kind of build up tougher skin as you progress forward. And it's Yeah, I'd love that. I, I think that's how most entrepreneurs, you know, they're deemed to becoming hard asses after, uh, after a while. <laughs> but that's, that's the practicing after, you know, years and years of being due diligent, right? So, oh, 100%. So, I mean, you, you sound like you, you've had like this legacy of, you know, at least you went into law school, then, you know, you went into the Silicon Valley, now you're into banking. Like, you have to tell me, like, you're coming from an entrepreneurial background, like somebody in your family, like your dad or an uncle or an aunt had to be an entrepreneur sometime throughout your history. Correct me if I'm wrong. So uh, my dad, uh, I don't know if 
if I asked him, I don't know he would characterize himself as an entrepreneur, but uh, he used to work for the Bell Telephone System. Um, okay. And back then, the Bell Telephone System was massive. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of employees, but he, and it, uh, he got approached by a cable television company, uh, which at that point, I think, had 15,000 subscribers, really small business. And he had four boys, four kids. Um, and they came and said, hey, we'd love for you to join this young company as we're trying to build the cable television business. And so he left. He left what was a pretty secure job and a pretty secure career trajectory and went to work for the uh, this cable company, which ultimately ended up being very successful. The founders of that business did exceedingly well. And I think it was listening to him and his story about just how fun it is to build a business mm -hmm. and how fun it was to, I mean, he kind of similarly, he just loved what he did, right? He loved going to work. He loved doing the, you know, he loved building the team. And I think it was watching that and what they were able to do, which really was encouraging in terms of, hey, you know, that's probably when you look back on life, that'll be pretty gratifying. And, um, and we see it all the time with the entrepreneurs that we work with. It's, it's really cool to talk to them and get a sense for just how much gratification they feel about the team that they built and the customers that they took care of and, and what they've done for their communities. Uh, we do an informal survey every year of our clients, you know, how much have they given back into their communities? And I think we're, we're up over 40 million at this point. Um, nice. It's pretty, it's pretty cool, right? Those, they're very generous and they, I love when entrepreneurs get involved in giving back because I think entrepreneurs just have a different way of thinking about how to solve problems. And look, we've got a lot of problems that we need to address. And so getting smart people that are driven and motivated to do it um, to help, I think is awesome. Yeah, I think you bring up a hell of a point. I mean, just being creative collectively creative not just artistically creative it's a gift and a curse of an entrepreneur like figuring out how to leverage things that somebody may look at and throw it away and you're like why are you throwing it away like that's a hell of an asset if you just change the formatting of it and i think only entrepreneurs have that gift of insight to be able to do these things and and the i think you're right it's that level of insight and then the conviction and the persistence because mm -hmm. you know none, none of the problems that we have are easy you know, none of them are going to be solved overnight. And I do think that the entrepreneurial personality, it's, it is one of, yep, I can see it 10 years from now. And I know that there's going to be a lot of, you know, uh, ups and downs between now and then, but I'm committed to making sure that that happens and, and working their way through failures. Um, it's, we have a, uh, a good friend of ours started, he and his dad started a, a, a program called Project Cure, oh. and it was basically, hey, we have all these uh, in our country, we have medical supplies that go unused because they expire, but they're oh. still good. And so what, what Project Cure does is collect all of those and they send them overseas to communities that don't necessarily have the same medical resources that we do. And I... I I honestly can't remember how many semi loads that they deliver every year, but it's, it's that kind of thinking, right? Hey, we've, we've got these opportunities that we should be leveraging versus throwing stuff away. Yeah. I think you brought up a definitely a hell of a point. I always, you know, it's funny because like having kids, 
like you would see they would go on the fridge they'll take out a bottle of milk and say hey is the milk expired and obviously as an adult my first answer is always smell it or taste it to figure it out like <laughs> right so again the expiration dates to me from a marketing standpoint as a marketer i'm like that's just marketing that's just so that way you can throw it out and buy more to, right. some things will expire but some things like you know aspirin for example like why are the expiration dates on aspirin i don't know sure. but yeah so it's funny it's funny well, that you brought that up yeah in our, in our hospitals right those expiration dates you know on bandages and on medicines are even more extreme um, you know, and, and so, like I said, it's, it's, it's solutions like that. And we have dozens and dozens of examples of our clients after they've sold their company doing things like that for their communities. We had, uh, one of our clients, uh, started a foundation in honor of his brother who had passed away simply to educate kids on entrepreneurship, um, and particularly in challenged communities where they may not have that exposure otherwise. And it's, it's those type of solutions where I feel like those are going to have a lot of leverage. Um, they have a big opportunity to change the life lives of not just the person, but their families. And um, it's, it's, you know, uh, Simon Sinek always talks about our why. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I think about our why as a business, right? Hey, if we can help an entrepreneur who then in turn does those things for their communities, that's a pretty cool spot for us to be in. So when you're saying helping them with like a 501c3, are you guys more so helping up the strategy of how to leverage that or you're actually setting up the 501c3 behind the scenes? So we don't, we don't set them up. We certainly have attorneys that can do all that, but it's really, uh, it's supporting them certainly financially. We always donate a portion of the fees that we generate um, to the organizations that our clients pick. Um, but it's also, you know, getting behind their causes. Hey, what are the things that we can do? Because you know, we know a lot of people, I, I live in Denver, but we know a lot of people in Denver. How can we help them build their organizations? Um, it's, uh, uh, it's, I said, it's, it's gratifying because ultimately yeah. that's why we're all here, right? We're in a big community and, you know, the, what we can do to help the rest of our community, I feel like we all have an obligation to do that because we're, we're pretty fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just by you saying that, I mean, it's something I've been thinking about since 2021 came around was like, okay, I have my Boston Cage Academy. But I was like, what would that look like for a foundation for ages 13 to 18, the next generation and feeding them the information and content that I'm doing right now in Boston Cage, but giving them a leg up. So before they even graduate from high school, they at least understand the basic principles of why they should become an entrepreneur, whether they work for somebody or don't work for somebody. I think that's terrific. And you let us know if you need support, because we'd be, we'd be all over that. We think that Again, when we think about giving as an organization, it's about, hey, where, where can you give to programs that have a lot of leverage? Um, and educating kids is uh, one of our very, very top priorities. So you let us know. We're happy to support you in any way we can because I think that'd be really cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talk about it off air. I mean, it's just yeah. so as soon as you said it, it just sparked something in my mind. to be like, okay, let me bring this up live, right? So back to... I'm thinking about like, okay, so obviously you have a hell of a business mindset, right? We kind of talked about these different aspects of what you do. Let's dive into your family life a little bit. Like, so you talked about your wife, you're talking about you wanting to save your marriage earlier on. So <laughs> how do you currently juggle like your work life with your family life? Well, I, uh, first and foremost, I, I way out kicked my coverage when I got married. Uh, my wife, Mary Beth is, uh, I'm really, really, really fortunate to have her and she's, uh, She's hung around with me. I think, uh, let me think this year will be 27 years married. Um, nice. and, uh, and I honestly, 
I, I will say I am not a model of great work-life balance. Um, as I mentioned before, for me, work is, it's something I'm passionate about and I love doing and, and I, would, I would do it for free. Sometimes I do. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to all the time, but, um, and so, uh, and, and we've known each other since we were in high school. And we actually went to, we were in college together. We were in law school together Hmm. and uh, she practiced law, still does. And so she, I mean, she definitely understands kind of my personality and, um, uh, uh, you know, the fact that I like to work and, and it's, like I said, it's something I would do otherwise just as a hobby, but it's, you know, one of the decisions that I made after we had sold uh, our prior business was when we started the bank was just to try to reduce the amount of traveling that I was doing when we were doing all those acquisitions, you know, we had a couple hundred offices across the U S so I was always on the road and my kids were young. They were two and four at the time. And so once we sold that business, you know, the commitment that I made was I'm still going to work hard, but I'll be home. Um, I won't travel nearly as much. And I think that was really helpful. I was able to be there for piano recitals and soccer games and, as you well know, I mean, the, and especially today, you, you can work from pretty much anywhere, um, you know, and that gives you a lot of flexibility. And so, and even as a firm, we're, we tend to be really flexible with our team, which is, hey, we want you there for the important elements of your family and, your, and, and family life. And you can, I don't really care what hours of the day you work, you know, get your job done. And, and uh, but I think of it, I think somebody said before it's it's less about balance than it is integration and making sure those things fit together. But like I said, I, I have a very very understanding wife, and um, she's been uh, very patient with me. And, and in turn, I I try to do as, as much as I can to to be helpful and to um, and to be there. Hmm. So I mean, to, to your point, so indirectly, you're saying you married up. It's, it's what I did marry up. Yeah, there's absolutely zero question about that. Nice, nice. So if your wife is listening right now, I just wanted to know, like, he can never sleep on the couch ever again. All right. That, that, <laughs> that level of commitment to say that live on ear. I'm just saying this man should never oh, sleep on the couch. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I totally married up. She's uh, she's she's two or three classes ahead of me. That's for sure. Nice, nice. I mean, that's, that's a gift by all means. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, with that, right. So happily married. What does your morning routines look like? Uh, again, I, I think from based on what you're saying, it sounds like there's always some balance and act going on. So, like, what are your morning habits? So, I tend to, uh, and my kids make fun of me, but I tend to go to bed pretty early and I get up pretty early. Um, it's just kind of how my, I think my body is wired and my most productive times are in the morning. But when I, I get up, I usually, I'll sit down and either meditate or just think about the day. I, I, I like to journal. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard, there's a thing called three pages, mm-hmm. which is uh, you kind of write three pages and, and uh, usually takes about 20 minutes. But in those three pages, you're just trying to kind of free write, hey, what am I thinking about today? What's important? And what I have found, and I try to teach my kids, in the first page, it's going to be the thoughts that have already come to mind. And the second page, there may be kind of derivatives of that. And by the third page, you're starting to get some insights that you didn't have before. And so that tends to be pretty helpful for me. And then I exercise. I try to exercise every day. And um, uh, it's uh, I'm 54, so I'm getting older and I got to I got to fight the uh, ravages of age. And so I, I try to do as much exercise as I can. 
Um, and then I'm ready to, you know, kick off the day and, and, uh, and get going. Nice. Nice. I don't think you're really fighting ages more. So though, if you want to look from the scientific level, it's gravity. We're all fighting against gravity. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is a better way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Not our just, control. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, it helps. I, I know for me personally, right. If I don't exercise in the morning, mm. my, my brain's just not quite right for that day. So cool. it's, uh, it's almost, it's probably an addiction at this point, but. Nice. So, I mean, with, with the journaling aspect of it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good insight because, I mean, it's part of what I've done with the Boston Cage brands. I created a book club. And because yeah. of that book club, I created a book journal to just journal the books that people are reading to be able to have this one book to rule them all. Right. So with your journaling, I would think you're an average reader in comparison to journaling as well. So my next question is a three part question. What books have you read on your journey, right, from whether it was in college, high school, to when you became a lawyer? What books are you reading now? And part three is, have you had opportunity to author any books as of yet? So I'll answer the last one. Uh, we did. We wrote a book called uh, Harvest, which is uh, it's the definitive guide to selling your, your uh, uh, company. Um, we wrote that. Jeez, it's been 12 years ago. And um, working on another one um, that's just related to, hey, how to avoid kind of the critical errors and critical mistakes when you're trying to sell your company. And nice. hopefully it, it takes a while to put those together. Uh, in terms of what I'm currently reading, um, one of the books, so there's a guy named Larry McMurtry who recently passed away and he wrote a book called Lonesome Dove, um, which is a, it's a fictional book. I don't, I don't read a ton of fiction, but I started that one. Um, kind of grinding my way through it. Uh, I'm also uh, reading a book by Jared Diamond called Upheaval, which really, it basically, uh, and I, I think your listeners might be interested in it. It's fascinating to me. It's about how do you, how to compare personal crises with national crises. And so uh, Jared Diamond goes through uh, a bunch of different countries. So um, I'm about maybe a third of the way through it. So he's gone through Finland and he's gone through Japan and how those countries have managed different crises and how does that level of management compare to the effective management of personal crises? So it's kind of an interesting way to get some history, but also, hey, how do you solve problems? Um, and then I've also, uh, I'm pretty well through the Bill Gates book on you know the, how to avoid a climate disaster. And um I don't know if you saw yesterday, right? The UN, that was at least a 4,000 page um, an analysis of kind of the climate change issues that we're having as, as a, you know, as a global population. And it's inter I, at one level, um, it's kind of discouraging, right? Just how many uh, different things we're doing that have a, a bad impact on the climate, but it's also encouraging in the sense of, Hey, there are ways that we can get about fixing it. So there's, some, there's some optimism as you would expect from an entrepreneur, but my favorite book, I've, I've given it to all three of my kids. Uh, and I would highly, highly recommend it is, uh, uh, there's a guy, um, I think he's the author. It's, it's the, it's the speeches by Charlie Munger. So Charlie Munger, was the business is the business partner for Warren Buffett, mm -hmm. and um, if you haven't watched any of the uh, uh, 
Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meetings and listen to Charlie Munger speak, you should do that. It's, it's kind of, it's funny, but also he's, he's a very, very bright guy, but, and he doesn't do the writing. This guy named Peter Kaufman summarized um, and did transcripts for all the speeches that Charlie Munger has given. And the book is called poor Charlie's Almanac. And uh, it is a, it's a great read because it's number one, hey, how to avoid some of the big mistakes in life. Uh, two is he's big on mental models, which is just, hey, how do you think about solving problems? And how do you use several different disciplines to try to solve problems? And uh, I have, like I said, I've given it to all three of my kids when they graduated high school and said, hey, read this and hopefully you'll pay more attention to, to, to his words than you will mine. But I think it's great advice. Yeah, I think, I mean, I haven't heard of that book, so I mean, I'm definitely going to look it up. I mean, I'm an avid reader at this point, this this age of my life. I just, I, I'm ferocious when it comes to this type of content, but I think it's it's a funny title because anybody that knows anything about Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett wouldn't be a billionaire if he didn't memorize <laughs> the almanacs as a kid growing up. And then like, that's the secret right. to his success. He understands almanacs and that everything becomes a cycle of life. So it's definitely yep. um, a, a play on words for sure for that title. Um, you send me your address. I'll send you the book. It's 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 uh, it's hard to get, but because um, uh, it's out of print right now. But I'll find you one and send it to you. You'll love it. I it's a uh, it's a fantastic book. Well, I definitely I definitely appreciate that. Oh, you bet. So so I mean, obviously, like going off of the almanac, right? The almanac is essentially like like like. If you look at the almanac, it's like a, a generation of content before, during, and after. So where do you see your almanac twenty years from now? What do you see your future looking like? Yeah, it's a it's a, a great question. And at 54, right, you have to just like we advise our own clients, you have to start thinking about that. And I think because I had those two years where I was kind of retired, but not really retired. One of the things that I learned is, I think as a human being, um, we have to wake up with purpose, you have to have something that drives you. And it could be charitable, it could be you know, hobbies. But for me, I think what I've learned is, you know, I need to be in service. I need to be in service to others. I've got to, I've got to have that as a, as a driver. And so, you know, my hope is that I'm still doing what I'm doing today and that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still mentally equipped to be able to do it in a, in an effective way, but I, I love what I do. Um, and, you know, I love watching our team develop and watching them grow our own business. And so, you know, my, my goal is, Hey, if we can continue to do what we're doing and the team can develop and they can create careers within our business, uh, you know, that would be the perfect uh, outcome for me. And, and my wife's fully on board. She, uh, I think she'll continue to work as well, but it's just, um, like I said, having that time period off where, you know, there were days you wake up and your whole day is open. And you probably haven't had any of those days in your life, but I can tell you when, when you get that, it's a little unsettling, at least for me, it was. And I think for a lot of type A driven personalities, it's, it can be. And so, uh, like I said, I, I, hopefully I'm still doing what I'm doing. Nice. Nice. That's definitely interesting. So, I mean, with that, I mean, obviously you're talking about your company, you're talking about growing from within, which is a very powerful leadership tactic. Like, who is your ideal customer avatar? Like who is the ideal customer that you're looking for? So we love, uh, first of all, working with entrepreneurs and the ones that we really love working with 
And I was excited to hear you talk about just your, your voracious reader. We love lifelong learners. Um, they are the most fun to work with. They, uh, I think they tend to be reflective. I think they're smart. Um, they uh, take advice and digest it. And like I said, they're just, they're fun to work with. Uh, we, we screen pretty hard for the right clients. Um, you know, we, it's a little bit of a crude term, but we have a no a-hole rule, right? We don't want any, we don't want any jerks as clients or as, as team members. Um, so we screen pretty hard for that, but then it's really, Hey, are, is the advice that we're going to give, is that going to land well with this particular entrepreneur? Because we know that's going to lead to the most success. And so uh, it's really somebody, but it's that, it's that lifelong learner, somebody who's always trying to improve, somebody who's always trying to get better. And, uh, you know, we, we love working with those entrepreneurs. In terms of business size, you know, the deals that we work on, those businesses tend to be kind of probably 10 million in revenues and above um, in general for, for it to make sense for us and the types of investors that we go to. But uh, it's much more about the entrepreneur than it is about the business, to be honest. Nice. Very nice. So we're talking about next step. It will be like tools and like applications. And then again, I think in banking today, there's probably a lot of automation systems, a lot of different bells and whistles that people, the common folk don't even realize go into play to even manage something at that scale. And you're talking about $10 million, $10 million to some may be small and to others is kind of like they can't even comprehend that number. Right. Yep. So yep. what applications and software do you use behind the scenes that you would not be able to do what you're doing without? Yes, a great question. Um, it, I would I would reference two of them. One uh, is actually one that we've developed, uh, and and it's available. Actually, it's available free on our website. But it's a it's a software application that a business owner could use to basically understand, hey, what risks do I have in my business that I ought to be paying particularly close attention to? It's it's really designed to give a business owner, hey, how would an outside investor look at your business? And what were they like and what were they not like? Uh, it's, a, it's an application we use called Copilot. Like I said, it's, it's available on our website and it's, it's free. We give, it, we give it away to business owners. But the other one that we use in our business is Salesforce. It's, it helps us both with our own business development, but it's also how we manage our internal transactions. Um, and it's, it's pretty flexible. It's not cheap. Uh, it's pretty expensive, um, but it's pretty flexible and it's done what we needed it to do. But uh, those are two that, that we use quite a bit. So, I mean, with, with Copilot, I mean, is it more so like a grading system as far as if somebody wants to get an, into acquisitions? I mean, like which spectrum does that software really lean towards? Yeah, it's really if you're a business owner and you're thinking about potentially raising money or potentially selling your company, Copilot's a great way to, I, I liken it to getting an MRI, right? It hopefully will start to identify issues that you may not have seen before. Mm -hmm. And then that hopefully gives you, and, and Copilot will do this, it will give you a roadmap for how do I go about addressing those risks? How do I go about fixing those? You know, what are those tactics that we've seen in our business to be most successful? And so it's a, it's probably a 35, 40 page report that you get back that hopefully, you know, I, I like to say it, it's kind of like an MRI, right? That's probably going to get you 70% of the way there, but you still need really talk to somebody, you know, business advisor, somebody to help you think through the rest of the solutions and, and how to prioritize those risks. Gotcha. So from a medical standpoint, it's a, it's a diagnostic, right? It kind exactly. of tells you exactly what's going on, but it doesn't tell you how to fix it, but it at least opens your eyebrow to know that there are problems. 
Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you know, if you go to your annual physical, right, they're going to do a bunch of blood tests and some other work, but that's just to help the physician figure out, Hey, what, what are the other questions that I should be asking so that I can really dial in a good diagnosis and a treatment plan? Nice. Nice. Well, that sounds like a, a hell of an application that anyone that's listening, if you don't take him up on this offer and go to his website and, and check it out, then, I mean, obviously you're not taking action on the content that we're delivering. So I would advise you to go check out that software. Yeah. So, happy, happy to. Great. So going into like final words of wisdom, right? Like you have different facets. We, we told your story, you know, you're talking about being a lawyer. You were talking about dealing with Silicon Valley. You're talking about banking. What words of wisdom would you give to an entrepreneur that's listening to this podcast, hearing your journey, being inspired by you? What insight would you give to them? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, uh, I've probably interviewed 40 or 50 of our clients who've successfully sold their companies, built them and sold them. And, I'm always looking for common denominators. Hey, what is it about them that is, you know, allowed them to be successful? And I would say that the one trait, it, it's just all about perseverance and persistence, right? You look, this is the game of business. And if it were easy, everybody be playing it, but it's not. And so you're going to have setbacks. There are going to be things that don't go your way, but you've got to have that conviction and that perseverance to just stick through it. And the good news is, is when you do that, not only will you get better, right? It's like training, you know, you're, you're going to get faster, you're going to get stronger. Um, but you're also going to develop, I, I loved your analogy about the, you know, the callus, right? Hey, it, it may start as a blister and, and be painful, but over time, hey, that's going to be protective for you. And you're going to, you're going to be better for it as a result. And so, you know, the, um, I, I'm a part of several entrepreneur kind of peer groups, and I would absolutely encourage that. And so, you know, be around other people that have gone through or maybe going through similar situations because it'll give you that support that you're going to need. Because it's like I said, it's not easy to build a successful business. It, there's a lot of, of uh, failures between here and success. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that that's sound advice, right? So, I mean, obviously, you're giving out this advice. You're telling them to, to go download is this application? How do they go? Where do they go? How can they find you? Yeah. So uh, you can reach us on our website. It's www.class6partners.com. So that's class VI, the Roman numeral partners.com. Uh, you can reach me through the website or you can reach me at Chris at class6partners.com and uh, happy to, like I said, happy to make Copilot available and, and be helpful in any other way that we can. Nice. Nice. So we're going to go into some bonus questions, right? Bonus round. And I think earlier on, if, I, if I, my memory serves me correctly, I think you kind of alluded to this particular question. So I'm just going to ask you, right? If money or monetary gains was not a factor, would you still be doing exactly what you're doing right now? A hundred percent. It's, uh, as you know, you get to talk to entrepreneurs as well in your podcast and outside your podcast. They're, entrepreneurs are a unique breed right? They, they tend to be not just um, interesting people, but, you know, I just have a lot of respect for them. And so it's, it's rewarding for me to spend my waking hours with them and to learn from them, to see how they do what they do, to help them and to serve them. It's a, it's, a, it's an honor and, and I, I would still be doing it. Nice. Nice. So this one, I, I love this question because again, 
you know, I'm listening to your story and I, I have a guest in my mind of who you're going to pick. But then again, you may completely surprise me. So if you could spend 24 hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, who would it be and why? Yeah, I, it's, I would go back to the Charlie Munger book um, and, and Charlie Munger. Uh, like I said, if, if you go on YouTube and just search Charlie Munger, you'll hear interviews and, and commentary from him. But he's, he's just really, uh, uh, he's a little cantankerous, a little cranky, um, but he's just really, really smart and really, really insightful. And the advice that you'll glean from listening to him or reading the book uh, it's it's just really good. I mean, he's just a, he's a very very thoughtful, um, analytical, smart person. And I, it would be I mean, yeah, if I could spend twenty four hours listening to him, it's like I said, I, if it's like uh, uh, maybe getting lost in a video game or something. If I go on and I start watching a video of him, I, I just can't stop. It's it's so helpful. Nice. I think it, it, it's interesting that you brought him up because everyone is familiar with his business partner. His business partner essentially is the visual brand of the company. But like in any company, and I always use a comparison of like Apple, for example, everyone knows Steve Jobs, but the man behind the scene was Waz. And in this case, yep. it's very similar circumstances. You have your limelight guy, then you have your guy. To, obviously, the company wouldn't be able to run without either one of them. But the fact that you keep bringing him up and you're telling me about his, his, his speeches are so insightful, it kind of definitely reminds me of like the wise Steve comparison. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And uh, um, like, I, like I said, I maybe start with the videos because those will be easy to listen to. But I think what you'll find is you'll, you'll want to go, you know, read the book and read the talks that he's given. And it's just it's good life advice. Nice, nice. So going into closing of the podcast, I mean, obviously you're a fellow podcaster and, and you understand the rules of engagement. So I would love to give the microphone to you and, and, and make you the host for the show to ask me any question that you would like. Well, that's kind of you. Uh, what I would love to know, because you, uh, you have interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of folks that have been successful. What are the common denominators that you have taken from those entrepreneurs in terms of what makes them successful and, and kind of the character traits that you've identified among those people? I think part of that would be, it's a segmentation of what you said, persevering and every single story. Now I like to depict these stories as I'm interviewing because you can kind of hear like the frustration parts, right? Like for you, your frustration aspect was becoming a lawyer and then going to Silicon Valley and to someone else that may be highly successful. But to you, it was like that you didn't find your niche yet. So then you becoming a banker, now you found your niche. So perseverance is one of it. And I think the other part of it is figuring out what your passions are and how to monetize those passions. And I think collectively, everyone I've interviewed, they've always told uniquely different stories, but the fundamentals of those building blocks are exactly the same. It's kind of like, I found something, I failed at it. I found something that was okay. It wasn't exactly what I wanted. Now I found what I really want to do. And the reason why I found what I want to do is because I did these other things and I know I didn't like it, but I preserved and pushed through them until I found my core passion. And now I can do what I'm doing forever. That is awesome. That is awesome. I, I am hopeful from all these interviews that you've done that you're going to write a book about, hey, what are, the, what are the key lessons that you've learned from all these entrepreneurs? 
it's funny that you, that you brought that up because I was supposed to originally release the Boss and Cage book for season one at the beginning of this year. And then I released other books before that book. And the reason why I racked that book is exactly that point. It's like, as you become more seasoned as an interviewer and you ask particular questions and you start to own that space, I was like, I wasn't doing justice to that book. I was just making that book very linear. So I was like, how do I make this book more fulfilling? So I, I kind of did a rewrite of that book. So that book is definitely coming out. It's in the works. And then I'm going to continue that pattern to create that series for every single season moving forward. That's cool. That's cool. Well, like I said, I, I, I know there are a lot of listeners that are really grateful for what you're doing. And uh, in particular, right, as you get your program going for kids, you let us know we'd love to be supportive and we think that's important, right? You want to, we want to give every kid an opportunity to be an entrepreneur if they want to do that and, and support yeah. them. Cause we, as a community are, are, we're relying on them to do that. So. Yeah. I mean, they, they technically are the next generation and, and then the generation after them are going to be supported by their influencing from us now. So again, exactly. it's, it's, it's the ladders, right? Steps. So yep, I, def 100%. Definitely I definitely appreciate every insight and jewel that you dropped on this, this book. Again, I think your voice to, to the point that I said earlier, your voice is so soothing. It's almost like, <laughs> it's like flying into the light. Right. So I definitely I appreciate. I don't know that my kids would agree with you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they probably get the other side. I mean, my son will say the same thing every once in a while, the kids do push the buttons. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And again, I, I think what you're doing is terrific and, uh, it's, uh, we need more of this, right. In terms of education for folks and, and to help them along their journeys. Yeah, definitely. Well, I definitely appreciate it. Essay grant over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an uncaged trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.